Welcome to the Motivational Podcast, where we talk about ideas to elevate, transform, and heal your life. I'm Carly Williams, and I'm honored to have you here. Let's go. Master What is up, ladies? This is Katie. This is my assistant, my assistant coach, and she has a levels patch. I love it. Oh, nice. I have mine on as well, actually. Then I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm a little frustrated about my levels. I feel like I want them to be better. I keep looking at Casey Means levels. I'm like, how in the world are yours a straight line? Like mine are never a straight line and it's really frustrating. I'm going to tell you the truth. Well, mind you, there are a lot of inputs. For example, I could, um, yesterday, I, my biggest bump was exercise. That was, that's my question. Yeah. Well, in fact, let's get into it. You start, you fire away and I will answer anything I can. Okay. Okay. Let's do a little intro first. And all I want to know is what are your lipstick colors? Cause those are, those those are something. I know. (laughs) I feel like in my defense, it looks a lot pinker in this than. No, it looks great. I I mean, it looks great. Thank you. (laughs) We, we, I mean, we have to like show up, you know what I mean? Oh, I hear you. We're bowing down to a guru. Oh, stop. Stop. Yeah, here uh, I am. My flannel, my flannel shirt. Yeah, I'm really classy. Um, okay. Um, three, two, one. Okay, guys, welcome back to episode three with Guru Master <laughs> <laughs> Professor Dr. Guru. You're welcome. I'm gonna make a shirt that says yeah. Ben Bickman is my guru. Yeah, what other what other titles can we sneak in there? Let's just keep it's stacking just- them in. It's just true. Um, and on episode three, we're going to get into some more questions. So this is my assistant, Katie. Katie, say hi. Hi, everyone. She is our other master coach. She is definitely insulin resistant. To the max. To the max. And so we have been doing some uh, experiments with her levels. So basically, Katie and I just got these little um, blood glucose monitors in our arms because of Ben's instagram channel and if you don't follow ben on instagram then you're crazy because all he does is offer mega value (laughs) life-saving information and so we got levels and we've been tracking our blood glucose and so we're gonna um talk about blood glucose and ask questions and that's that's where we're gonna start so thanks again ben for being my pleasure my pleasure this will be fun so okay so um let's get into it first of all i thought my blood glucose levels would be better, but I love strenuous exercise. And so that's my number one question. First off is whenever I exercise, my blood glucose, according to my um, Mm -hmm. app that we're tracking, goes way up, depending on the type of exercise. Um, So what, is that okay? Is that, should I be avoiding stuff like that? Like, is that a different process because insulin isn't involved? Yep. Yep. Excellent. Uh, this is a great topic. The easy answer or, or the, the short answer is anytime the body's experiencing stress, glucose will go up and exercise is a stress, frankly. So we have, uh, so any stressful event exercise. And in fact, typically when I exercise here on campus, I will go into the sauna afterwards and go into the sauna for 20 minutes. And oh my goodness, the glucose levels will go super high because it's a stress. 
The body perceives these things as stressful. So whether it is sleep deprivation, something as obviously problematic as that, or emotional stress due to relationships, for example, or even something healthy and good, like a physiological stress, like exercise or sauna, you're going to have an increase in the stress hormones, cortisol and epinephrine in particular. Two of their main actions where they come together, what they do together, but, but separately, but they have this in common, they both push glucose up. So they start driving the liver to release glucose that has been storing. So the liver just floods the blood with this glucose because it's thinking, hey, there's something wrong here. I need to get away from this. I need to, I need to get out of this situation. And so I'm going to make sure the muscles have all the energy they need in order to get the body out of this situation. Of course, when it comes to exercise, the situation is the point or the sauna, the situation is the point. But nevertheless, the body doesn't know that. It, it's, so it has that stress. It responds to this stimulus by stimulating the breakdown of glycogen in the liver, and that then floods the blood. Now, if you guys wanna do something interesting, so if we kind of zoom out another level, we can look at this as what's called a, uh, a sympathetic event. Uh -huh. And the nervous system sort of has two aspects to it, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. The sympathetic nervous system is the one that um, predominates with a stressful event, and that will result in an elevation in glucose levels in the blood. But do this one time, um, get exercise really hard or go into the sauna and then an hour or two hours later, go and get a massage. And okay. now you will see this huge peak during exercise. It'll come down and then it will drop during the massage. Or you just take a 20 minute nap where you have really deeply relaxed and you've activated the parasympathetic system. And now all of a sudden your glucose levels will drop. I've done this where I'll go get a massage about once a month and typically it'll be mid afternoon and I work out late morning and I'll have this huge bump. Like my glucose will be normal. It'll spike for my exercise. It'll kind of come down, start to settle and it will drop during the massage and come back up. So, so that's just a different. Bad? Nope. Neither is bad. It just reflects these, this, these differing, this differing regulation of glucose when the body is in stress or when the body is, in the case of a massage, deeply relaxed. So it's basically like there's a problem if you're eating sugar and having a spike rather than like exercising or getting a massage. Yeah, yeah. Because like you said a moment ago, what about insulin? When you exercise, insulin drops because if insulin stayed high, during exercise, it would be pushing all the glucose and all the fat to be stored by the fat cells, to be stored by the liver. So we it's a storage that. thing. Okay, okay. Yep, that's right. We don't want any. We don't want any cell to be storing energy. We want to be moving the energy. We want to be using it, not storing it. And so during exercise, insulin comes down, but the muscle, which normally needs um, insulin to pull in glucose doesn't need it when it's exercising. There's something called contraction-induced glucose uptake. So normally, if we had a resting muscle, the muscle's not doing anything, if we wanted that muscle to pull in glucose from the blood, we would have to bathe it with insulin. It'd have to have insulin to open those glucose doors to allow the glucose to come from the blood into the muscle. However, the moment we start applying a stimulus and the muscle is contracting, relaxing, contracting, relaxing, mm -hmm. even though insulin's not there, so to speak, the glucose doors open up on their own, allowing the hungry muscle to be pulling in all the fats, all the glucose that they want in order to get enough energy. So the, the, the exercising muscle is a very greedy tissue. It will get whatever it needs to get 
even if insulin isn't telling it to take in energy, it will take it in on its own. Oh, okay, good. Because I was so stressed. I'm like, yeah. we were like, I was like, oh, see, God. you were stressed, and that was pushing your glucose up even higher. I was, I was like, ah, I'm like levels, yeah, come on, right? So, um, okay, so interesting. So, Katie and I love doing cold water exposure therapy. Mm-hmm. I think it's super fascinating. I dealt with um, postpartum anxiety super bad, and I really do notice like a completely different stabilization throughout the day in terms of mood. Um, when I do it, it's, I never thought I would do it. I swear I'm not crazy until you like have a panic attack after you yeah, yeah. like, I'll do anything to prevent, uh, that all day. So super fascinating. The first time we did it, our glucose spiked because it was like stressful, you know? Yep. And then guess what? Now when I do it, it's like my body regulates and my glucose response. Uh, so you've acclimated. So it's just not as stressful as it used to be. It's so cool, but it's yeah. like you train your body. You can kind of train your body um, based on your decisions to like, in terms yeah. of stress, right? And like- yeah, Oh, I, I do. I think there's a lesson there. I think there's a lesson to be learned with regards to emotional stress. Just like your body, un, uh, unaware to you, your body has adapted so that that cold exposure is not the shock or the stress that it used to be. You've trained it to deal with that stress. I think there's something to be said for emotional stressors as well. We can emotionally or mentally be trained, if you will, to learn to cope with those those stresses better than before. And so what was once a significant stress is now much more modest. We've learned how to deal with it. And that that has an effect on our metabolic health, right? Oh yeah, definitely. Oh yeah, yeah. If cortisol... Yes, it absolutely does. If someone is experiencing stress and cortisol is elevated, cortisol is a remarkably destructive hormone. It will break down muscle. It will break down bone. In order, It will inhibit immune responses, so preventing the body from having a good re- immune response to a virus or a bacteria, all for the sake of pushing glucose up higher. Cortisol's main job is to just flood the blood with glucose, even to the point that it will strip the muscle of its proteins in order to give those amino acids to the liver so that the liver can make new glucose from that protein. That's wild. It's wild. Um, Okay, Katie, ask your question, your first one, your sleeping one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, then whenever I sleep, I have these wild, wild crashes. There was one night. I think I dropped like 44, like mm-hmm. show you the wildest spike. Yeah, no, I know just what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, did you? No, no, it's not. Um, I've had the same thing and I think it's a pretty natural thing, but I wonder, I notice that it will drop lower if I, if I have indulged in something in the afternoon or, you know, towards dinner time that put me up higher than normal. If I have a really, really tight dinner, like, you know, really smart carbohydrate and I'm prioritizing protein and filling with fat, then, then my nighttime dips, it might go down, you know, into the low seventies or into the sixties, but it will never really, really drop into kind of red zone. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, so I stick to a lot of fats and proteins and I still will drop. And I heard someone um, talking about doing nut butters before bed to see if that helps as well. And it didn't. Yeah, so I would I would say if you wake up and you're feeling fine, then don't worry about it. Cool. Yes. Okay, good. Um, when she first got her levels, okay, so we have I have to tell you that I made her switch to your protocol because I was like, I think that you're insulin resistant. Um, 
because she's like the healthiest person ever, like plant-based, like doing all this stuff. And she like, she resisted me for a minute. I'm like, it's not me. I resisted it for so much. For so long, for so long. I was like, yeah. Then she read your book and she was like, crap. Okay. She was like, I have to do this. So So do you, do you have a family history of diabetes or anything like that? No, but I, I think from what I've seen, it definitely seems like there's a lot of insulin resistance in general, um, mm-hmm. but no one's been diagnosed with Okay. Diabetes. Well, it's a, it's, it's a disease that's often missed anyway, because they only look at the glucose, little realizing that the glucose can be normal and the person can still be in the, in the throes of insulin resistance. Yeah. And so when we first got her levels, what was your fasting? It was like fasting was, kid you, not like 120s. Hmm, yeah, that's that's high yeah so, so what does that mean um that means you need to be careful um yeah. has it improved as your diet has changed yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so it's where are you hovering at where are you hovering nowadays so fasting now i usually sit around 100 mm-hmm. so it's better but still high for fasting yeah um, yeah and usually when I have meals, I won't spike too bad, but I think the biggest thing for me is stress. If I'm stressed, it's like, like automatic yeah. spike yeah. really, really fast. Well, that's good. I, it's good that it's coming down. I suspect it will continue to come down. Um, yeah, stress matters, but also uh, you might, I mean, maybe you start scrutinizing your diet um, as well. Like I am, I'm, I think nut butters, are they're delicious first of all but they can be problematic mm-hmm. as well and so when i see people that are really trying to improve metabolic health that's actually one of the ones i i say to be careful with dairy and nut butters or nuts and dairy oh just because of it's just because of the carb that usually comes uh-huh. with it yeah so dairy is wonderful for for humans and all mammals um but dairy is high in all three macronutrients which means that it is a very good food for growth so it's evolutionarily a brilliant thing for mama mammal to make for baby because it's the perfect cocktail for growth. It has all three macros at a very high level. So my sentiment is that if someone is trying to improve their metabolic health and they are consuming a lot of dairy, that's probably one to be very careful with. And that's, is that like, what about for weight loss? I know we don't talk about weight loss. Yeah, yeah. So I think the dairy can be problematic. Okay. For weight loss. And so I recommend if people want dairy, I am a huge fan of fermented dairy because when you fermented milk, for example, the bacteria only eat one thing. And that's reflective of all bacteria across the whole planet. They eat glucose. Bacteria eat sugar. They do not eat fat. They do not eat protein. There's a lesson there to be learned of people who are trying to control bacterial infections or yeast infections or viral infections. These infectious pathogens eat glucose. They do not eat ketones. They do not eat fat. They do not eat protein. They eat glucose. So don't let them. Don't feed them. Don't feast them. Don't allow them to feast on glucose. And so in the case of of fermented dairy, you've allowed the bacteria to eat through the glucose, lowering the glucose content in that dairy, but leaving all of the amino acids and all of the fatty acids. And also when bacteria eat glucose, they spit out short chain fats. And that is why fermented dairy has a tart flavor to it. It's tart, like plain yogurt or kefir 
or like that sour milk, it's, it's tart because of the short chain fats being produced by the bacteria as a result of them eating the glucose. Interesting. So fermented dairy is awesome. So fermented. Yeah. Okay. So, so, um, okay. I'm trying to look at all my notes, by the way, she, Ooh, there it is. <laughs> this is actually her copy. Amazing. She read your book and that's why she decided she's like, I, not. Oh, that's great. I'm glad. I'm glad you read it. Like dead set. I was so, so, so dead set on plant-based. I was like, this is it. Like I have a family lineup of so many different <laughs> like autoimmune stuff and like everyone's struggling on plant-based today. I can't do it. And no, it's, it's very seductive. Um, and, and there's a whole, um, this isn't my area of expertise, but, but, but there is, there is an, a massive movement to tell people to eat plant-based and, and to avoid <laughs> animal products. It is a massive undertaking and it is terrible. Humans, a human that eats a purely plant-based diet will, will die. Um, there's no way around it. It is insufficient for humans. We are not ruminant animals. We have one stomach. We're monogastric. We must get fat. There are certain fats we can only get from animal foods. The complement of amino acids is superior in animal proteins than any plant protein. We are built to eat animals. We are an apex predator. And that's, there's something... I appreciate so 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 scientifically that's shown we are meat eaters, but I appreciate that as humans with our intellect and our morals and our ethics we may feel conflicted eating animals. We will look at that and and look at that that cow and think well that cow has a face and so it's hard for me to eat it. But that that there's a myth there, uh, as if someone can eat something that didn't have to get killed first. Um, everything dies for something else to live. And let me flip that around. Everything that is living is living thanks to something that died. Even if we're eating a plant, we've killed that plant to eat it. You know, we've eaten its seeds. We've, we've doomed it from making more of itself, from, from proliferating or growing and having offspring. We, we've prevented that from happening. We killed the plant. A plant is alive, um, just like we kill the animal and we eat it. So that's one myth that someone who's tempted with plant-based has to acknowledge something must die for something else to live. That is an unavoidable fact of existence. But I also think there's an opportunity there that, that, that I think there's something beautiful that when we do eat food, plant or animal, we should be genuinely grateful. Not that it has to be a formal prayer, although it is for me in my home. We, we express a genuine gratitude that we are living because something else died for us to live. There's something beautiful about that sentiment, not that it can necessarily alleviate someone's conscious from it, but it's a reality that, that I think is, we're best, we, we are well served if we just acknowledge it, that everything is living thanks to something that died. Have you ever uh, watched The Power of Myth by Jeffrey Campbell? Never heard of it. He, I mean, if we look back, he talks about like myths that have um shown up throughout the generations you know and like yeah. similarities between myth and you know the certain cultures would uh praise the buffalo as sacred right because they were so grateful that the buffalo would allow them to live and they really did like honor its sacrifice yep. for them to live and i was like oh that's really really interesting um yep. i love that so yeah, I do, I do too. I do too. I think it's very important for us to acknowledge some of the myths of, of plant-based diets. Um, I, okay. 
Perfect. So, um, okay. Is there a blood glucose range for ketosis? Uh, no, no, there's not. I mean, typically a person will have a lower glucose level because insulin must be low for the liver to be making ketones, but this can happen. At, so let me, let me elaborate a little bit. So insulin controls fuel use in the body, whether the body is burning glucose or blood sugar, or whether the body's burning fat and the body, human metabolism is a hybrid. It's burning a mix of those at any point. If insulin is high, the body's in sugar burning mode and fat burning is essentially turned off. If insulin is low, sugar burning is turned down and fat burning is turned up. If this continues for about 16 to 20 hours, low insulin, thus high fat burning, the body's burning so much fat that it starts turning some of that burned fat into ketones. Thus, it is ketogenic, and then we've entered ketosis. However, there are inherent differences um, between people um, with regards to what their glucose would be and what their insulin would be. So someone could have a glucose level of 100, mm -hmm. but that's just kind of their resting level. And in fact, their insulin is quite low and, and thus they are making ketones and burning a lot of fat in the process. Uh, the, another person would maybe have to have a glucose of 80 you know, or so, and that corresponds to a low enough insulin to be making ketones. So there's not a definite range of glucose, but I would say if it's getting, if it's consistently above a hundred, that, that probably means insulin is elevated as well. And that then would mean ketogenesis is turned off because the body's not burning fat very much. So I, cause I was like, oh no, am I supposed to be at like the seventies in order no. to be ketosis? Because I've never really been there. I think if I'm like going intuitive and I'm looking inside the times I feel the best, I'm like 85 to nine, like yep. 85 to 90. Like I feel really, really good. Like eighties, low nineties. I'm like feeling really yeah. good. Yeah. No, that's good. Okay, good. Um, da, 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 da. How long does it take to get fat adapted? Would you say it just oh, depends. Yeah. Well, there is no definite um, science published on this topic, but okay. based on my experience with a lot of people, um, to become a fat, to become fat adapted, uh, in that you feel well, you you don't feel tired anymore, and you've noticed a, a, an actual change in the in the consistency consistency where the person is in fat burning because we can measure that in a lab. You can hook up to a machine and breathe into, in and out of a machine, and it will hmm. tell you whether you're sugar burning or fat burning. That's crazy. That's so cool. yeah. I want that. Oh. Yeah, it's called it's called indirect calorimetry. In fact, there are at-home devices now that you can get. I'm in. No way. Yeah, it's I like a little. It's a little thing. They. It's not even. It's smaller than a little backpack now. It's just like something you put on your desk, and you breathe into it, and it'll tell you whether you're sugar burning or fat burning. So, nevertheless, typically, I say about two weeks. Um, that's that's right. kind of a transition period of, of becoming fat adapted. And that is a real process where you, you have to make more mitochondria in the body because if you're burning fat, you can only do that in the oven of the mitochondria. That's mm. the necessary part of the cell for fat burning. But if you burn glucose, you don't need the mitochondria at all. So you might not have enough, so to speak, to really thrive. But during that phase, if someone listening to this is thinking, yeah, I really want to get into I really want to become a fat burner, which is great. I applaud that. Make sure during that transition of, you know, controlling carbohydrates, prioritizing protein, filling with fat and intermittent fasting, make sure you are drinking a lot of water and eating a lot of salt. Those are the two necessary interventions to make sure you're adapting well, because as insulin comes down, 
one of the effects at the kidneys is the kidneys will start dumping a lot of extra salt and water. And so blood pressure can come down and that can be uncomfortable for some people. So you wanna to try to keep blood pressure higher to help the brain feel better. And then, and water and salt will help that happen. But isn't it, is it specific salt, like pink salt, right? No. It's not. It, it, it doesn't matter. Oh, I thought that nope. it was like very specific yeah. for mineral nope. It doesn't matter? Nope. nope, no, it does not matter. I mean, you could, if you were worried about some of those micro minerals, then I would say, yeah, a more raw salt is, is good, but you don't need to worry about that for oh. adapting. That maybe would be a long-term concern. One okay. note though about salt. Yeah. I love the explosion of all these kind of gourmet salts. And for example, like the Redmond Real Salt guys that are based yeah. out of Utah here, I know them well. They're, it's awesome. I think there is something to be said for these salts for long-term mineral um, assurances to make sure you're getting enough of all those micronutrients, all those minerals. The one drawback is um, when we go to these kind of gourmet salts, if you will, we aren't getting iodine that comes from the iodinized or typical table salt. And okay. iodine is a molecule that we really need to get. And so you are either like in the health code shake, we've added potassium iodide for that reason. But, but you could also um, make sure you're, if you aren't eating, if you are eating seafood from time to time or you're getting the shake, then you're getting iodine. Otherwise, buy a little potassium iodide dropper and take like one drop a day because if you aren't getting enough iodine and and if people aren't eating iodinized salt they might not be um because they don't eat seafood then then you cannot make thyroid hormone and your thyroid levels will drop and once thyroid drops then it's disaster uh, thyroid really is an essential hormone to to functioning it's, mind you especially for women that are thinking about getting pregnant or are pregnant if, if a mom has deficient thyroid hormone, first of all, she probably can't get pregnant in the first place. But mm. if she somehow developed a thyroid deficiency during the pregnancy, the results on the fetus can be catastrophic, mm. catastrophic loss of, of multiple salt. function. Yeah, so make sure you're getting iodine. And, and again, it doesn't have to come from the salt. I am an advocate of those salts like Redmond Real Salt. I really am. But it does mean you need to be focusing on getting iodine from other sources like seafood or, you know, a, a smart shake or you're just getting an, uh, uh, an iodine supplement. So if I'm taking health code every day, which I do, and it gives me a nine on my levels app. Yep. And it honestly, it's like the thing, the only thing I'm like, I can only eat Ben's shake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, and that gives you that gives you the iodine. Okay. But and I really do like everybody so i'm doing a challenge right now we have like 100 how many people 130 140 140 oh, that's people. awesome and i'm like take health i was health. i'm like health code fast and health code fast and health code get yeah. your insulin level it is oh. it is a smartly made shake if i may no, say so i hope you saw what i wrote on my instagram about you like, <laughs> i you did should. except for guess what i did the wrong there i did t-h-e-r-e <laughs> for the master bickman who's like <laughs> I'm like, I went to BYU, I'm trying, and I used the wrong there, and I'm embarrassed. Oh, that is one of the more, that is one of the more common errors, so. <laughs> so just know that I recognized it, and um, I'm sure that my, my insulin had spiked in my breath. Shame on you. So yeah, sad. there goes your stress hormones through the roof, boom. <laughs> But I was laughing. I'm like, of course, like I used the wrong there. And I was just, yeah. it was funny. I'm just like, uh, 
Um, but but on my on my uh, Facebook group, we're like doing a doing a challenge and just basically taking all of your information and your book and everything. And I'm like, we're putting it to the test because you'll feel crazy different and people That's are getting great. amazing results. That's and great. And it, uh, it works. It is. It works. I hate to say this. It sounds so cliche, but it's science. And, and if when someone is smart about their carbs and then more liberal with their protein and fat, it, it just works. There's it just works. It's that simple. Yeah. And somebody was like, for those of you who are getting crazy results, do you think that it's because of the shape? And everyone was like, yes, yes, yes. Oh, nice, nice. Honestly, well, preach, yes. preach, sister, preach. <laughs> well, no, I'm just like really so grateful for the information just because it's like so counterintuitive. And it mm -hmm. seems like, like I could eat this way for the rest of my life. I feel super sated. That is the key. That is the key. When you tell someone they have to lose weight by starving, they got to go low calorie, they got to, you know, eat less, exercise more, and they got to be mildly starving all the time. That won't work forever because eventually hunger wins. If you're losing weight because you're starving yourself, hunger will win and it will rage back with a vengeance. So the key is don't starve yourself. Don't be hungry while you're losing weight. You don't have to eat until you're satisfied. Just follow those basic principles and keep insulin low. And that will accelerate your metabolic rate. Anyway, it will accelerate fat loss so that what you are fueled with is fat. And that's what you want to be. You want to be fat fueled. Well, and it seems like, uh, you know, I'm kind of on this new path where I'm like, what could I do for the rest of my life? What seems like joy? What seems like what God would intend for me to like, have the best human existence, right? Like, what does it mean? And for me, I'm like, I just don't really believe in like, I feel like you've set me free from tracking. Mm -hmm. It's like you gave, you like taught me how my body works. Um, and like, I just don't really believe that we were intended to have like my fitness pal, like every time we put something in our mouth, right? Because for me, if I'm looking at a screen and I'm like, okay, this is, how I know if I'm doing something that I don't like tune into yeah. the consciousness yep. Yep. of your body. So yeah, you're not going to be as intuitive. Yeah. Right. And I would love to get your thoughts on that because, you know, people in my challenge are like, okay, but if I do want to track and I'm like, I understand that. But if we're intermittent fasting, your insulin's going low, you're mm -hmm. totally fine. I would love it if you could, I, I basically like told them, okay, when Ben's, when Ben brings people into his research lab and they have diabetes, he says protein and fat together. Yep. As much as you want. As and much as you want. I love, okay, I'm like, right? No, that's <laughs> right. That's absolutely right. Can and that's why it's so easy for these people to adhere. So the clinical study that we did, the case study that we did, it was 11 women, middle-aged-ish, you know, a little over than middle, little older than middle-aged on average, overweight, type 2 diabetic. And the conversation was with them, you will leave the clinical visit with a prescription for diabetes medications, or you leave with this prescription of changing your diet. And they, all of these 11 women picked the diet in part because when they said, well, do I have to go really low calorie? And we said, no, you don't have to count a single calorie. Don't, don't do it. And so the adherence during the 90 days of follow-up was perfect because you don't have to go hungry. Now, I wouldn't want one important note here. Um, the, the principles are simple. They right. really are simple, but that doesn't always mean it's easy because when you start asking people to change their diet, you're dealing with addictions, you're dealing with habits, and that is real stuff. Those are difficult things to deal with. So having support, 
like what you're creating, I think is the single most relevant variable to get over that hump of learning how to eat differently. And some people do find in my experience at the front end of all of this, they're just curious, they want to track. I always say, okay, that's fine. But once you've kind of finished tinkering around, you've just learned where you're, what you're doing, what you're eating or so, and then stop because it just gets too tedious. And it, it, it bring it's, I always like to um, think about thoughts and thoughts are all we have. And like, what are your thoughts consumed with? And a lot of us are addicted to food thought. Oh yeah. And then they, and then you switch that food thought to tracking thought, or it switches to anesthetizing with alcohol or whatever. And if thought is all we have, like you've, I feel like you've given me this beautiful gift of consciousness, which sounds a little like hippy dippy, but I'm all in. And I feel like, well, first of all, uh, my brain on glucose, once you like feel the difference, it's wild how different it is, right? Ketones versus glucose. And mm -hmm. like, I never want to eat glucose again. And then I find myself eating a milkshake for lunch like I just did. And I feel like crap. And I'm going to admit that to you because. Yeah. Oh, you know, are you kidding? Milkshakes. It was so funny. I had been really great for days, days, days. And I was out with my little 10 year old and I was just thinking, and I said, hey, how about you and daddy? How about we go get a milkshake? I had a moment of weakness. Yeah. And she said, I don't want a milkshake. And then I'm like, okay, well, then I don't either. You know, but I was hoping, I was hoping she'd say, I really want a milkshake, daddy. I'd say, okay, well, then I'll go get one because you want one, you know? I know, I go in for my kids, my yeah. husband. I'm like, come on, right? But I do notice, like, when I, when I do that, it's wild how different you feel, like fog, night and day shift. And so, um, yeah, when you are, when you are switching, I don't know, mm -hmm. I think there's something to be said about consciousness and brain capacity. And yeah. when you are tracking, it's like, you're putting so much of your attention on the tracking that you like, don't notice beautiful trees around you, which again, sounds yeah. hippy, but it's like, I just don't believe that we were supposed to have this much brain attention on fuel. I agree. Like, I agree. Do that. Yep, I agree. I, I'm thrilled to hear that. Yeah, food, we ought to come to the point, you know, ideally, where where food is a fuel, you know, in a way, and, and something to be enjoyed, of course. It, it's a social moment, especially, um, you know, especially around where I am here, in, you know, in the middle of Utah, there, there's a culture around, you know, there, it doesn't matter where you go, there's a culture around food. For most people, for most adults, much of that culture um, focuses around alcohol and the bar. That is that is just where things happen. That's where the guys go out. You know, right. it's where the gals go when it's mommy's night out. You know, with her girlfriends. But for those of us who don't drink any alcohol, it's a different thing. Now, when if I'm going out with the guys, we go out and get a milkshake. You know, and, and that I I think that's better because none of us is going to overdose on a milkshake or overdo it and go home and you know, get rough with our family and beat our kids or something um, because we're drunk on milkshake. So it's, it's you know, I think you right. just trade your vice. You trade your vice. It, you know, yeah. you do have a chemical reaction. You know, it's like, a, it's a social, you feel it. But yeah. I totally agree. And it's, it's interesting when you look at like food's purpose is fuel. And it's like, you're studying like what it's supposed to do. And it's so much more than that. It's so much more for like, I don't want to feel something. I want yeah. to anesthetize. And so I'm going to, at the expense of my body, which you don't really understand you're doing that until again, you get fat adapted and you like come out of the clouds and you come into the light. 
so to speak, in terms of like energy and brain function. And you're like, this is how, this is how it's supposed to be. This yeah. is how it's supposed to be. And this so, is how we're built. Right. And it's, it's, it's like, so I'm glad I'm just like, I would love it if we could just teach you guys how to tune in and understand the signals that you're giving your body. So for me, I'm like, okay, insulin to me is like a preparer. That's what I like to call it. Right. It's like, and maybe I would love to know your thoughts on this, but I'm thinking about like, what, if we're going back to the caveman days and we're thinking about like their way of eating mm-hmm. in the summer, they had more plants, right. To eat. And then in the winter, they probably needed more meat. So maybe the insulin thing like really worked for them and was necessary. I don't mm-hmm. know. But oh, now yeah, no, I, I think so. a hoarder for us. It's like, it's like we're becoming hoarders in terms of storage. So I'm like, if you're over insulinating or whatever, mm-hmm. maybe created that word i think i did um then it's like you're becoming like a hoarder yeah yeah so insulin that's a great way of looking at it i agree insulin is a hormone that tells the body to store energy and in earlier times thank heavens that it did because we wouldn't have known when our next meal would be coming and if it were winter thank goodness we had moments of spiking our insulin during the summer where we were able to get you know some fruits and vegetables or 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 roots you know tuber tubers you know roots and we dug out and would eat them well spiking the insulin would help the body store energy for the coming winter where it would be harder to eat or we would be much more low carb and insulin would be low so we're using energy more rather than storing it as much we already stored it that was what the fall was for the autumn was for storage the winter now we're using it and we're using it to survive Mm. one thing though We'd been talking about fat burning and I'd said how we're built for it. In a way, we, we literally are in that a newborn baby will, uh, a baby eats and within just about two hours, that baby will be into about what's like into like two millimolar of ketosis, which would take an adult two f- days of straight fasting in order to get oh to. Oh my gosh. So babies get into deep, oh deep ketosis. Yeah, they're just fat burners. They're constantly burning fat at such a high rate that they produce a lot of ketones. And the ketones are part of what's fueling the brain because humans among all mammals, we have two things that are very, very unique. We are the only mammals that are born obese on land. We're the only land-based mammals born obese. So we are very fat when we're born. No other land-based mammal is even close to humans. Even, Even a lean human compared to any other primate, a chimp or an ape, we are morbidly obese compared to other primates. Even a lean human, even lean, these other primates are just like 2% body fat and that's the average and you don't find humans at 2% body fat. we're not supposed to be that lean so we are supposed to have more fat than other mammals and we have incredibly hungry brains Mm. the brains don't eat fat our brains eat glucose or ketones and the thought is that the little baby is born and it has constantly high ketones and that is fueling the brain. And so when you have a little baby that is born very underweight, it was premature, didn't have time to pack on all that fat. If the baby isn't getting enough fat, it can hurt brain development. So you've got to make sure that you're feeding the baby with a lot of fat to foster ketone um, production and ketones are providing what appears to be a critical fuel for brain development in the newborn. And I don't think adults are any exception. Ketosis is a natural state. Not that I'm saying everyone needs to be in ketosis all the time. I'm not saying it. I'm not saying that. But just to challenge the sentiment that so many hold that ketosis is bad, it's going to burn out your brain or all these other myths that are ridiculous. 
No, we, we were built, we were born in ketosis. We, and throughout all infancy and childhood, we're in ketosis almost all the time. And then it was only once we grow out of it, we go through puberty, we can become adults. Now you have adults that may never be in ketosis at any point because they're eating all the time. It's crazy. That is not good for the brain. And I loved, um, I, I watched your talk that you gave at BYU. And I mm-hmm. love that you just kind of have to endure mm-hmm. like this little period. It's honestly probably a couple of weeks and then you'll be like yeah. golden. You'll feel so much better. And I love that. With that being said, tell me about pregnancy yeah. and nursing. Because we talked a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. And um, like kids. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so pregnancy, first of all, is one of the only instances in a human's existence where the person is supposed to become insulin resistant. So the insulin resistance is serving a purpose. That is called physiological insulin resistance. And every woman will have this happen. It's supposed to happen. But you follow her at day zero, month zero, so to speak, and measure her insulin sensitivity. It'll be very good. She's healthy. She just got pregnant. Now, throughout every next month, she'll be a little more insulin resistant than she was the month before. Wow. And that's, that's on purpose. If it, And it's helping mommy get fatter. And it's helping baby get fat and grow quickly because mom will have elevated insulin and that is a hormone for growth. Yep, it's telling the body, hey, we're growing, we're growing. We need to be using these, this energy to grow. And, and, and I, it's, it's important. In fact, the woman, fat is so important for female fertility, not only becoming insulin resistant and growing more fat during pregnancy, but you just need, a woman needs enough fat to even become pregnant. If she doesn't have enough fat, she doesn't make enough of what's called leptin. Leptin is a fat hormone. And if she doesn't have enough fat, she won't make enough leptin and the brain will simply shut down any fertility. It'll stop her from ovulating until she has enough body fat. The same thing does not happen in men. Men can be incredibly lean and be perfectly fertile because men don't have to bear the metabolic burden of fertility. The woman whether it is a blessing or a curse, and I understand any woman would feel either way depending on any moment, um, it, it is regardless of how someone looks at it, it is a tremendous responsibility that is put on the woman. It, it, is, it, is, it is a burden, but I don't mean for that to s- just sound negative. It, yeah. is her, it is her, I don't know, gift. It is her responsibility, but she will grow that child. She will nurse that child um, you know, ancestrally, and that is a tremendous metabolic expense. So she needs to make sure she has enough fat to carry the child because she's giving that energy to the baby in, 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 in her fetus, in her uterus, I mean. And then second, once the baby's born, she's now giving her energy to the baby through her milk. So it's a good thing she has all that fat stored because once she starts breastfeeding, she's literally giving her fat to her baby, which is awesome. That's another beautiful thing. Although I understand it can be a terrible process. Yeah, it's the worst and best thing ever. I know, yeah. Yeah, from 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 an an observer's perspective, I've seen that. I've seen the truth of that happen. Yes, with my wife. Now, with regards to the mom and her diet, yeah, with carbs, yeah. So, um, during pregnancy, it appears the mom has a great deal of of latitude. You know, she can kind of change the diet however she wants. I have known women that throughout the course of their pregnancy continued to adhere to a very strict ketogenic diet and were perfectly fine. I would say you do not need to do that. There's no evidence on this, by the way, 
um, so, so I'm being very careful here and I'm just speculating. I think a mom can continue to eat however she was eating when she got pregnant is a fine enough way to continue to eat during the pregnancy. Um, however, once baby is born and she is lactating, she needs to be more careful to not get into deep ketosis. There are case studies to find that when you're lactating, mom is burning a lot more fat than normal because she's burning her fat to put it into her milk to feed baby. But if you combine a naturally high fat of high rate of fat burning with lactation and a high rate of fat burning with a very low carb ketogenic diet, her ketones can get too high and she can go into ketoacidosis, like actual acidic ketones that uh, any other instance is impossible to, to get into. You know, we, we couldn't get into ketoacidosis. We couldn't get our ketones that high, but a lactating woman, a lactating woman can. And so that's a reason to be a little more careful and indeed be a little more liberal with carbs. You don't need to be quite a strict low carb. Yeah, but I think that carbs, I think there's something to be said about like where your carbs are coming from. Right? Oh yeah, I agree. Like, Sweet potatoes are very high carbohydrate and also have like beta carotene. It's like, yep. Yep. Different than like I'm going to spike my insulin for, for Taco Bell, which. Yeah, I agree. Totally. Yep. Like a milkshake is not the same as a sweet potato. Yeah. Right. And yeah. Okay, good. That's, that was my other thing. Um, okay. Will you teach me a little bit if somebody does want to track. So in your book, you say your weight divide it or your weight in kilograms times 1.5 and that's how many grams right of yeah protein. for protein. Mm -hmm. protein so when you're doing that calculation you're saying that's how much protein you have do you do an equal amount of grams of fat because you are oh, that's a good question yeah so i i am yeah that's a good question yeah good i i am an advocate of general kind of a one-to-one -one ratio but that admittedly starts to break down. If you are deliberately pegging to, to grams of protein and you've calculated grams of protein, I would say don't try to match with grams of fat. Let the fat come with the protein that you're eating. You should be focusing on natural proteins like dairy, meat, and eggs. All of those come with fat. And you might add a little fat and you put a little olive oil on it or a little bit of butter or whatever or cream. That's fine. But don't try to match it. Don't You, you aren't trying to get a certain amount of fat. You just allow the fat to come with the protein to help the protein digestion and to help the protein work better in the body. It makes it more anabolic to eat them together. Um, but that range, 1.5 is the high end. And that is typically only necessary for older people. So if you have a lot of listeners that are middle-aged or younger, you know, maybe late 20s, early 30s, then they do not need to be at that 1.5 range. They can be very, very good around that one or kind of low one gram per kilogram. And remember, if someone is very overweight, you don't go to total body mass, you do your ideal body mass. So if I'm normally 150 pounds and I'm currently at 200 and I know, ah, but I used to be 150, I need to get back to 150, you go with that lower number. So uh, it's, it's based on body mass, uh, uh, ideal body mass. So yeah, that's so good. That's awesome. That's so good. So that's kind of like your, we want to say weight loss. Okay. I know that mm -hmm. we're not supposed to be talking about weight loss. No, 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 but you're, you're right. You know, yeah. But like, that's why people come to me and yeah. I kind of weight loss. I think weight loss is kind of a fascinating transformation. Yep. Yep. Well, and I'm fine with that too. To me, yeah. weight loss is just going to be an overall effect that you're improving metabolic health. That's just one of the many benefits. Right. But my, my biggest thing is like, 
I would love to set people free from like the classic weight loss. Like, let's just have to suck really bad. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Have people intermittent fast, bring down the insulin, continue the fat burn by breaking the fast with health code and then (sighs) the rest much fat and protein as you want. Be careful with carbs, follow those rules, see what happens, see if you get the desired result. And if you don't, then maybe start tracking and scrutinizing. Mm -hmm. That genius genius the guru just yeah you're the remember i know nutrient i'm a i'm a guru of nutrient biochemistry you are a guru of taking this kind of stuff and putting it in practice in a way that i am not at all i really yeah so so suffice it to say respect is a two-way street and i have sufficient uh ample for you guys and what you're doing with these people that's a great way to do it i think it's a brilliant idea it's so fun it's my favorite favorite thing um any other questions oh uh birth control that was we had one yeah yeah so there are different types of birth control assuming it is a is is it is based on progestin uh, or progesterone like a progesterone like a molecule that i think that is the how many of them are built these days progesterone is one of the main signals that's helping mommy get fat during her pregnancy progesterone is progestation it's basically saying we're preparing for birth and so let's store on fat so progesterone and progesterone like molecules like those that could be in birth control will um would will potentially push the body to store more fat than it would otherwise store okay estrogens in contrast do not do that estrogens just tell the body where to store fat you know, breasts and hips, but not to push it to store any more than normal. Progesterone will push the body to store more fat as it thinks it needs to get ready for childbirth. So, so lower carb would help with that though, right? Because I think so. Yes. That's, you kind of just have to do some experimentation with that. Yep. 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 Um, oh, I had one. Okay. So in my levels, last question, cause I know you have to go. Um, mm-hmm. I could talk to you for hours. I see your brother at the gym. I'm like, Joel, what's up? He's like, hey. Yeah, hey, you. To my, to my fitness class. I'm like, I want to talk to you guys for forever. You guys are like the best. Um, so in my levels, I literally don't, I try, I, I do this if I'm working out, right? Mm-hmm. Or if I'm like, you know, but I'm kind of like this all day. Yeah. Within. I don't have like crazy spikes. In no, 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 that's good. And that's okay. So it's not like this straight line. I'm like, no, no. In fact, you don't want that high degree of variability. There was a study published that looked at that high degree of variability and found that that was a person who was significantly more likely to be insulin resistant. Okay. But mine's like, so this is my bracket of like 110 to 70 is what I was, Casey means the doctor who mm-hmm. also thinks you're amazing. Uh, she's great. She's great too. Awesome. And but by the way, she listened to our first podcast and she's like, I'm a vegan. <laughs> I know, I know. Bless her, bless her heart. Now, I, I'll, I'm quick to say where I do think veganism is incompatible with human life. And I, I say that um, with a definitive perspective. I do also say you can do vegan if you are very well educated because right. you know what you're deficient in. And second, you can afford the supplements to make up for it. I then, then that is your privilege. You can get away with it, but then we should also be humble enough to realize that telling someone in Cambodia that they should be vegan, that's, that's, it's hard. That's not right. Yeah. And like a whole foods is way more expensive. We have to, you know what I mean? Like, yep. I wish it wasn't. That's just kind of the reality, the reality. Yep. 
And if you do the best you can, your body is miraculous and it responds to your least, your less than perfect efforts, which is just a testament to me about the creator, whoever that is. Mm-hmm. Right. And like, I can get super religious. I think that like the body's a vessel of, and teaches us so many um, amazing eternal lessons. I agree. Religious, but as, as like members of creation or members, yeah. Members of creation, mm-hmm. like we don't have to be perfect. We can try the best that we can. And I think intent has a huge effect on our body. Like if our intention is to do the best we can, I think that our body responds to that beautifully and blossoms and, and like has a consciousness about it that responds to it. But um, again, that's neither here nor there, but I just, I think the body's just so fascinating. I agree. Totally. And your work. I'm like, see, like, it's so cool. It's so like, we don't have to be so focused on all of this, like, darkness that comes from weight loss and the fitness industry and pills it's just like you can totally eat delicious food and feel totally unstoppable in terms of energy level and brain function and like your muscles get stronger and yep. you decide how you live your life that's so fascinating to me you know but- yeah oh, i agree completely and people should fight that um i know there's a movement nowadays in pop culture um, to, to want people to just accept the way they are, you know, yeah. that you're, you're big and just accept it. I think there's something to be said for loving yourself. Totally. And also realizing that there's, it's time to improve or there's room for improvement because to think that where you are now is good. Don't change. That is hell. That is damnation to yeah. not want to progress. So I, I think it's important. The efforts you guys are taking to help people realize that it one can be done and two should be done. We ought to push this. We ought to push back on this trend in society to say, oh, you're good enough. No one's good enough. Well, that's not. And, and, and we shouldn't think we are. We should always be acknowledging where we're deficient, the humility and the self-awareness, and then the motivation, the discipline, and perhaps some education and help to try to get to where we are trying to get to. Whether, and we may look at someone with a glorious six pack and in the most perfect Adonis-like or Athena-like body, and then we'd say, well, they don't have the physical um, trials that I do. One, they might, they've just overcome them well, but they likely have other things that you can't see that they're dealing with. Everyone's got to acknowledge where they are and realize they can get better. And and that, that to me is a key to a good life. I 100% agree. And also like, I'm gonna tell you the truth, I've done, your, we call it the protocol. We call it the Ben protocol <laughs> because it's like, it's like, uh, I've done, I've done a lot of weight loss things and this feels like total ev- evolution. Um, I've done a lot of different things and I feel like some of them are rooted in lack and some of them are rooted in a better life and like light. And I think that like this way of living and eating is like the intent behind it is like, let's do this in light yeah, and joy. And so like, what is honoring something look like what do you feed something that you love and you honor if the queen was coming to your house there's no way in he double that you would like bring her taco bell you wouldn't Mm -hmm. you're like that's good enough for me Mm -hmm. and i'm gonna tell you i used to be a taco bell lover in high school like i'm not saying that with judgment realize how much better it is right um and like the canon center i'd go to like chick-fil-a every day like yes i still love chick-fil-a okay but but it's like, when you, when you think about like love and honor, like, what does that look like? And it's like, when I, I was posting about that, I'm like, this shape that Ben created is honoring yourself by giving it so much yeah. micronutrients and like nutrient dense 
fuel that you can like experience the world with so much consciousness. And again, I sound like a hippie, but you don't even know how to describe how much better you feel when you actually honor something instead of like, you're good enough. It's like, no, let's become. That's the cool thing about the human species. Like a deer isn't like, I wonder if I can get stronger and maybe like help, you know, you have the privilege as human beings to like see what we can become and execute. It's almost like time travel, right? It's like, we can be right here, look and see where we mm-hmm, can become, mm-hmm. become and execute. And that process is what it's about. It's about honoring and respecting this beautiful vessel that you like go about life in, you know? Well said, well, well said. Yeah, I, I add a hearty amen to all that. I mean, I watched your BYU talk. I'll probably link that in the in the so thing. Good. And I was like, oh my gosh, so it was so it was so good, Ben. Oh, well, it was my pleasure, really. It was a fun, I enjoyed that opportunity and I took it seriously. I, I thought I have I have 45 minutes to very give a very distinct message to my campus community and, and the broader community in a very sort of slow, non-podcast format, just me. And I wanted to make sure how can I convey this message politely, diplomatically, um, and accurately, and even unapologetically that was the result. You know, hopefully it was taken in the spirit in which it was intended. Well, it spoke, I was like feeling like mega peace throughout all of it. Like, yeah, good. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Truth is just might not be convenient. It's just true. Yep. So thank you for showing me the truth of everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm so, so, so grateful. Those were all of my questions and you are the best. Also, will you come on and do a Zoom call for my challenge. Well, I can't say no when you put me on the spot like this. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, of course. Oh, that'd be awesome. You, and, you guys, yeah, let me know. You and Raleigh, send me the details and we'll get something scheduled. Okay, you're the best, seriously. Yeah, thank you guys. Good job, good work, keep it up. Okay, we'll talk to you later. See ya. Bye.